Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia and a very warm welcome to the Kākāpō Files from RNZ. I'm Alison Balance, and this is episode 24 of this long-running podcast series in which we are following the largest Kākāpō breeding season on record. Over the past nine months, these giant flightless parrots have given us a run for our money. High highs, low lows, twists and turns we did not see coming. There has been sex, a lot of it. Births, heaps, and deaths, far too many. This episode comes to you on the 18th of September, 2019, and it's been a few weeks since we last checked in with the Kākāpō team from the New Zealand Department of Conservation. Here's Kākāpō Recovery Team Manager, Deirdre Verko, to bring us up to date. You are a Deidre, and welcome to the Kākāpō Files. It feels like a very long time since I've talked to you. It sure does, Ali. It's nice to be back. <laughs> so let's just wham straight into the big news. I know you've made a big announcement, so tell me all about it. Yeah, yesterday's announcement was one that we've been waiting for for a while, and it was the announcement of the new population level for Kākāpō. So yesterday, our youngest chick, Stella 3B, reached 150 days old, which is our official age to be counted as part of the population. So that bird is now classed as a juvenile and not a chick. And so that was taking our population to 213 kākāpō, which is pretty fantastic. There's more kākāpō alive today than probably for the last 70-odd years. That's amazing. You were hoping that maybe in the best circumstances you might just creep past 200, but you've barreled past 200. Yeah, I was thinking that actually this time last year. I was imagining, wouldn't it be nice to reach 200? We possibly could. Everything would have to go pretty well. And to get past that number and have a few few beyond that is, is just such a great reward for so many people that have put huge amounts of effort in this year so that's fantastic. So 213 now remind me what did we start this breeding season with? So at the start of the year we had 147 kākāpō. We lost five adults throughout the year actually so that was um, really disappointing. Well one of those adults Mertie may have been um, lost a number of years ago but he had been missing for five years so we officially took him off the population tally. And then we had four other adults die uh, since the start of the year. So Gumboots, Arab, Huhana and Hawkey. Huhana and Hawkey were both as a result of the aspergillosis outbreak that we had. So that took us down to 142 and the total number now being 213. So 71 chicks are still alive from the breeding season, which is great. 71 chicks. Now remind us, what were your previous biggest breeding seasons? Our previous best was 34. So we've got 71 alive today, but actually 72 made it to that to that age, and unfortunately we've lost a chick very recently. 
So our record of chicks reaching that population level age has gone from 34 to 72. Which is more than doubled. Incredible. Yeah, that's why I've been so busy this year. (laughs) (laughs) And I gather you're still quite busy. Yeah, we are. There are a lot of chicks on the islands. They're exploring the far reaches of the islands at the moment, so the staff are, are very busy tracking them down on a regular basis just to make sure that they're still in good weight and good condition. Quite a workload. Now, I do have to ask you, how do you feel about this new kākāpō population level that you've reached? Uh, mixed feelings. It's just starting to sink in, to be honest. So it's an amazing result, and I feel very, very proud of, of the team, and I'm so thankful to so many people that have helped us achieve that this year. But I also feel keenly aware of how small that number still is, 213. You know, there are more children in my girls' primary school than there, than there are kākāpō alive and so we've still clearly got a very very long way to go but yeah what a great outcome and what a great change that this year has has brought for the species. When I think back to when I first became involved with kākāpō in the 1990s there were 51 known birds so we've come a terribly long way but as you say 213 is still a very fragile number. Mm, I feel the same Ellie when I started with the program we had 86 birds and this year we hatched 86 chicks and for me that's that's pretty amazing to think about, but we do have a long way to go. We can't lose sight of that, and uh, we need to keep working really, really hard to protect kākāpō to make sure that we set them up well for the future. One of the big stories in the New Zealand news for the last few years has been the uh, national housing crisis, and I kind of feel like we have our own housing crisis with kākāpō looming because you've got full islands for them. Where are they all going to fit? Yes, that's going to be the next focus for us. So... Anchor Island and Ho, which are the two islands that we had all the breeding activity on this year, they are feeling pretty full with kākāpō. They could probably take a lot more birds, but we would start to see some negative interactions. We would start to see reduced breeding efforts um, potentially. So we are looking for more uh, habitat for kākāpō. We are very likely soon to move breeding birds to, to Kākahu, Chalky Island, which will accommodate 20 to 30 birds we think so that that will buy us a little bit of time but yep we're on the hunt for more houses for kākāpō. Are you going to move any more to Hauturu up in the Hareki Gulf? Uh, we don't have a plan to do that in the near future we have 13 birds on Hauturu at the moment and those birds are ones that have done a really good job, they've bred really well they've passed on their genetic material for the future population and, and we we're, we're actually set them aside to trial Hauturu as a breeding site. We know that kākāpō can mate, lay eggs and nest there. What we don't know about that site is if they can raise their own chicks without supplementary food support and we really want to understand that because the island is large, it's very safe from predators uh, and holds a lot of potential for kākāpō if they can raise their own chicks there. So we have essentially enough birds there now to answer that question over a period of time and Moving more birds there at the moment is, is not going to result in increased breeding for us. Hauturu, of course, was the one island where we didn't get any kākāpō breeding this season. And that brings me to a question. Do you have any idea what's going to happen this coming summer, both on Hauturu and on Whenuaho and Anchor? Well, we do know that on Whenuaho and Anchor there won't be any breeding. The females, quite rightly, need the year off and... The males themselves probably won't boom either. They, they realised that last year was a pretty big year. A lot of them mated. And so generally after a big year like that, even the males take a year off. 
Hotudu is another story. We really don't know what triggers breeding at that site. So it is possible that there will be breeding there this year and we'll be keeping our eye out for that. Now this mega kakapo breeding season was driven, of course, by a mega mast fruiting year, particularly with the rimu. Do you have any inkling of future mast years coming up? Because I know this is something you can predict two or three years out. Yeah, we can. And no, we don't have any inkling at the moment. So we'll be keeping an eye on things like average temperatures. We will be climbing trees again and doing uh, fruit counts. So we'll keep you in the loop, Ellie. Thanks, Deirdre. That was manager Deirdre Verko from the Kākāpō team. And let's cross directly to scientist Andrew Digby for some more news. Kia ora, Andrew, and welcome back to the Kākāpō Files. I've just been talking with Deirdre, and you've been having the most busy but productive Kākāpō year. Yeah, kia ora, Alison. Yeah, that's right. It's been a real, real busy year for us, and, you know, nine months more than nine months into the breeding season it's kind of feels like it's still going but it's, yeah it's been a great year. Yes but you've drawn a line in the sand and you've said we've counted some birds that have turned 150 days and we're going to claim those ones. That's right so that's when they took over towards the official population that's kind of the sort of arbitrary line that we've set and yeah so we've got all of those chicks so far and reaching the total of 213. But not all of your chicks have what you call fledged so can you explain what fledging is and explain how many birds you've still got that haven't officially fledged. Yeah, that's right. So it's a little bit complicated. So when they're in the nest and they naturally fledge, that's fine. So that's when they leave the nest. And we say fledging is the the first time they spend a day. So they roost away from the nest. That's when we say they fledge in the wild. The complication arrives with the hand-reared birds. And we actually say that they're fledged when we release them from the weaning pen. And we have the situation this year where we have some chicks who have reached juvenile age and so are counted towards the the official population, but they technically haven't fledged because they're still in hospital and have been in hospital for a long time. So let's have a chat about that. How many birds do you still have in hospital? So we have currently got five individuals still in hospital. We have four in Auckland, one in Dunedin. In fact, one has left Dunedin as an Invercargill overnight and today is on its way back to Anchor Island. So I'm not counting that one. And those five that are in hospital, who are they and what are they being treated for? So in Auckland, we've got Huhana 2A and Esperance 2B. They're the chicks. And Margaret, Marie and Cindy, the adult females, they are all being treated for aspergillosis. And in Dunedin, we've got Ra 2B, which is the chick from Anchor Island with the injured leg. So those birds that are being treated for aspergillosis, uh, what's their prognosis? How's their treatment going? So it's going pretty well. They've all progressed. The aspergillosis seems to be in retreat. And tentatively, two of them, Huhana 2A and possibly Cindy, have just about clear. We need to confirm that. So they hopefully, and Huhana 2A in particular, will hopefully be heading back down south quite soon. Fantastic. And can you tell me Wa2B from Anchor? What did um, that bird do to its leg? So it dislocated its leg. It was quite a bad injury. And, and Lisa Argila and her team at the Dunedin Wildlife Hospital have been doing an amazing job. Initially, we thought that bird was going to have to be put down quite some time ago, but they've managed to pull it through to the stage. And I think it's had all of its toes amputated, so it's de- but it's still able to get around reasonably well. So we're going to have to make a call on that one. It's still definitely not out of the woods. We may still have have to euthanise it if it cannot live in the wild but it's doing well so far and Lisa and her team have done fantastic just getting it to the stage. So overall what has the impact of the aspergillosis outbreak been? 
it's been huge in terms of the resources and the amount of effort that we've had to put into treating it and diagnosing it and just scanning for it. Overall, there's been 21 individuals have been affected. Eight of those have died, including the, the bird Margaret Marie II, which died last week. So tell me a bit more about that one. So Margaret Marie 2B was actually scanned, had a CT scan and was cleared of acidophilosis. There was no sign on the CT scan and was returned to Fenerwaho in June, but suddenly lost weight during August and was found dead on the 11th of September, died on the 9th of September. So that was a bit of a shock to us. You know, we hadn't lost another bird from aspergillosis since June. We thought those deaths were behind us and then suddenly to get one three months later was was a real concern and we're still finding out what went wrong there so there's two possibilities one is that there was aspergillosis originally and it was part of that original outbreak and it was just missed on ct scan aspergillosis is notoriously difficult to detect so that's a real possibility the other option which is a bit more scary for us is that it may have been a new infection and it could possibly have got aspergillosis after it returned to Fenerho. but on the balance of probabilities, we think that's the less likely one, but we're, we're trying to find out that. Oh, that is certainly uh, significant. So does it change how you're going to do management from birds that have come back from hospital? Yeah, so we're monitoring them more closely at the moment, really having a close look at those weight graphs, and we're doing more health checks. But we, we need to find a little bit more information yet about the Marie 2B. We need to get some lab test results back and then we'll be able to make a more informed decision on what might be the danger or the risk to those other birds. I think given that all of the birds that succumb to aspergillosis or, or were infected by it, received, we think it was associated with nests. I think it's unlikely that Margaret Marie 2B got another dose later on, but um, yeah, we need to confirm that. Now, every chick is important, but Margaret Marie to be had a particular claim to fame and was particularly significant. Can you tell me why it was a double blow to lose her? Yeah, he actually. He was uh, one of the birds created by artificial insemination this year. So, yeah, just one of three chicks which were produced. One had already died, and now we just have one left, Nora 3B. So that was a real blow to lose Margaret Marie to be, who was the offspring of Stumpy and Margaret Marie and given that Margaret Marie is in hospital with aspergillosis you know it's we she may not produce any more chicks again and um, so that's a real concern. But the one surviving AI chick you've got that was the one that has Simbad as the father? Yes that's right and we caught him last week and he's looking good so yeah fingers crossed there. Fantastic now juveniles in the rearing pens how many have you got on Fenelho being trained in the great outdoors at the moment? We've got six of them at the moment. Three have been there for a little while. Three just came back from Auckland Zoo last week and they're doing well. Some of them are putting on weight quite well. A couple of them have just tipped two kilograms, which is great. Uh, yeah, they're definitely learning to live in the wild. I was, I was out on Fenelho last week and we had some pretty wild rain and hailstorms and checked on them the next morning and they were looking a little bit bedraggled, some of them. Um, so, yeah, they're learning how to cope with things like rain and cold and how to climb trees and, yeah, just how to live out in the wild. How are the rest of the young birds getting on out in the wild? Because they would have had to cope with that same wild weather. Are they all doing well? Yes, they are. There's a couple of, on Fenelho at the moment, we haven't been able to track down for a little while. They have done some big wanderings, and so birds which were quite settled have suddenly up sticks and left, and the team is having quite a hard job just 
keeping track of that many individuals and when they're doing quite a few kilometres from one one place to the other in, in a short number of days. So, yeah, that's proving quite a bit of an effort. Some of the chicks are doing really well. We've got some birds like Rakira 2A, I think it's about 2.7 kilos. Arua 1A is about 2.6. So, yeah, they're putting on lots of weight and overall they're all doing well. Now, in terms of that wandering, that's something that you're trying to get a better handle on at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So one thing that we've been doing over the last few years is trialling GPS loggers on Karkaboor. And we had GPS loggers on about 38 or 9 individuals and adults on during the breeding season on Fenuaho. And now we've extended that to the chicks. We spent last week putting 18 um, GPS loggers on chicks on Fenuaho. And we're trying to find more about their dispersal patterns, what their home ranges are. That's something that's important to establish. We want to know where they live and in case we lose them later on, in case their transmitters fail, we know where to look for them. And just to learn a little bit more about their behaviour, especially in relation to the chicks which are fledged naturally. So how long they spend with their mothers when they become independent. And this year with these multiple chick nests, are the chicks staying together? Are they separating? And and that sort of thing. So it'll tell us quite a lot about behaviour of the chicks after they leave the nest. So the information you gathered from the adult birds during the breeding season, what did that show you? Did it show you that during the breeding season their worlds shrink? And I'm thinking the males, their world shrinks to their track and bowl system. For a while the female, her world shrinks to her nest. And is that different from what they do for the rest of the year? Yeah, that's right. That's one of the things that I still actually need to analyse the data properly. I've only had a quick look at it, but yeah, that's definitely true of the males. They they tend to have summer and winter ranges. In the winter, they do range more widely, but they'll tend to go down towards the coastal areas. In the summer, they won't move up towards their bowls, and they uh, they all inhabit quite a very small area right on top of each other. And the females, too, at the nest, we can see the females centred around their nest. And one of the things which I want to tease out of this is try and look at more about the food that they're eating, the resources, the amount of space that they're taking up when they're feeding chicks. And one thing that's interesting too is just seeing where females go to and we can actually see with the GPS the females visiting the bowls, listening to some males, but then carrying on and mating with others. So that will tell us quite a a bit more about their mating behaviour. We have previous studies which have used radio telemetry, but with the GPS we get a lot more fixes and, and more accurate, so it'll give us some really good information. There'll be some fascinating insights there. As well as yeah, sticking GPS loggers on chicks, what, what other general work is going on on the islands at the moment? So looking at after those chicks on the on the pens and Fenuaho, and the main thing is just checking up on the chicks and so finding them regularly. And it's as they get older, the checks on them get less and less. So, you know, it might be as little as once a month in some cases. It might be every couple of weeks or after they're released, it's every few days. So just making sure that those chicks are putting on weight they're living in a good place, they're not getting into any trouble and yeah we've got a lot of chicks to check up on this year so that's quite a lot of work. In terms of science there's probably lots of questions you've got on your mind. What are future priorities for your research? The main priority at the moment is aspergillosis, trying to understand why this happened, where the aspergillosis came from and you know why we haven't seen this problem before and we're getting a lot of help from around New Zealand and around the world actually. There's teams of people putting a lot of hard work in and it's been a real team effort. It's really great to see so many different organisations come together to try and solve this problem. People have dropped their other work to focus on this in many cases, which is which is really, really heartening. So we're doing quite a lot of genetic work at the moment on the aspergillus and trying to understand more about it and yeah, where it came from and how we might be able to detect it or prevent it in future. Speaking of genetics, how's the Kakapo Genome Project going on? Are people working on some interesting things? 
Yes, they are, definitely. Yeah. So there's lots of research going on at the moment, and it's really those meetings are quite impressive to see so many people around New Zealand working on those data. That's kind of what we were hoping for and what we were working towards, and to see sort of New Zealand's best geneticists all pouring over that data is fantastic. So that's ongoing, and I hope that we'll start to see some preliminary results later this year from those analyses. So aspergillosis, genetics, anything else you've got lined up to work on? Yeah, so we've got new sites. That's something that we're working towards, and that's going to be quite a big focus for us next year. Another thing we're kind of looking at as well is our technology. How can we improve our technology, especially around transmitters? That's a real focus. Now we've got 213 Kakapo, you know, just three and a half years ago, we had 125, and that's quite a different management problem. We need to get a bit smarter about how we monitor, how we use transmitters, and we, we cannot continue to have the intensity that we have done in the past. We need to step back a little bit, and yeah, in particular, we'll be focusing on our use of transmitters over the coming year. In terms of new islands for Kakapo to go and live on, we have talked, I think, in the past, and we certainly talked in my Kakapo book about Resolution Island, uh, Five Fingers Peninsula and Dusky Sound as a possibility. Is that going to happen in the immediate future? We hope so, yeah. It's not completely resolved yet, but we're looking at putting birds there next year. We're also looking at making putting females on Takakahu or Chalky Island in Chalky Inlet. So that will become a breeding island, and we're potentially looking at Coal Island in Preservation Inlet as well because we've got so many chicks on this year, we're kind of running out of room, so we need more and more places to put them. So those are the three sites that we're looking at next. They're not all completely signed and sealed, but that, yeah, there should be quite a bit of movement on that in the coming year. What do you think will be a good population size to get to where you can go, actually, we've done our work, we can step away from Kākāpō now? You've got 213. How many do you reckon you need? Yeah, it's a good question. And would that's something else we're doing a bit more work on this year, just more population modelling to try and nail down those numbers. I mean, the ballpark figure with 500 is the one that you kind of look to from a genetic health point of view. We'll definitely be able to relax a bit more when you get there, but that's obviously some way off. But that's, I think, maybe you know, more of our mid-term goal that we're aiming for. All in all, a fantastic year. How do you feel about it? Good. Good. It's been exhausting. You know, it's been a real roller coaster. Like, you know, it's just this last week was another example of just another dip on that roller coaster. But none of us, I don't think, would have dreamed that we'd have got this many chicks. That was the double clutching that we did in January really, really paid off. We thought maybe we might get 50 or so from 50 breeding females. But, um, yeah, to have those second lot of nests and to get 71 chicks out is, is quite fantastic. So, um, yeah, it's been an amazing year. And it's just now just pushing on and looking ahead and just... Trying to, you know, I think we're entering a new era of kakapo conservation. We really are. We need to step back more. We need to go to more technology monitoring and at more remote sites. So, yeah, I, I hope to see the intensity of the management that we do drop off over the coming years. And that's a, that's something that excites me. You know, I'm really, really looking forward to that day when we can release kakapo without transmitters on. That's that's kind of a real goal for me personally. That's what we're working towards. Thanks, Andrew. That was Kākāpō scientist Andrew Digby, dreaming of a future when he has done himself out of a job. So, there you have it. As of this very moment, the Kākāpō population stands at 213 birds, with 71 juveniles still alive. With no breeding season on the horizon, the Kākāpō population will fall over the next year or two or three, or however long it takes to get to another breeding season. There will be more deaths, from old age and accidents and illness and who knows what else. 
that's just how life rolls. But in the meantime, this kākāpō breeding season is a real cause for celebration. A massive congratulations to Doc and the kākāpō team and to everyone who helped make this happen. And a huge thank you. All that hard work has paid off. Thanks so much. I don't have a date set for the next episode of The Kākāpō Files, but I will be back, so stay subscribed to the podcast. This has been episode 24 of The Kākāpō Files, and you can find the whole series on your favourite podcast app or at rnz.co.nz slash kākāpō. To stay up to date, you can follow Kākāpō Recovery on Facebook and Instagram, and Andrew Digby and I are both on Twitter. Thanks for your company. I'm Alison Balance. Bye for now. Matewa. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.